everybody. It's good to be back. Chris and I have had a couple of weeks away. Charlotte said, my name is Nick and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, but the joys of having AV Sundays online has meant that we have been able to get a sneaky peek at what has been going on while we've been away. We had a lovely time as a family. Uh, thank you so much for all of you who've personally sent us well wishes for a good holiday. We bodyboarded, we kayaked, we walked, we cycled. It was lovely. And who knew Cornwall had sunshine? Like, we've been to Cornwall a few times and it's consistently rained, but not this time. It was brilliant. That was really, really good. And we had a great time, but it is good to be back. And I'm picking up, as Charlotte said, on a series that started back with Chris at the beginning, talking about Bible legends. He spoke about Moses, and then Josh spoke about Ruth, and then Charlotte spoke about Joseph. I won't sing for you. Uh, and then today, I am the first person in the series to pick someone who was around at the same time Jesus was around. So those other characters were from the Old Testament, the time before Jesus came to earth, and then I'm picking up on someone who was around at the time that he was. And as I've researched this character, I have become fascinated by her, absolutely fascinated, and realized that, in my opinion, I think she is one of the most misrepresented characters in the whole of the Bible. And so I'm going to be speaking to you all about Mary Magdalene. I would really encourage you, there is so much more to know about her than I'm going to be able to get done within these next 20 minutes. So do go away and read some stuff about her. She is fascinating um, and has divided opinion uh, in many sections of society. But what I want to do is start off by telling you some actual facts. As I said, she's very misrepresented in culture, and I want to start by giving you an overview about what we do know to be true, and then thrash out a few myths, but mostly I want to spend the time thinking about what we can learn from her and what she was like and how we can apply that to our day-to-day. -day. So I'm going to whiz through some facts first. First of all, she's named in all four of the Gospels. They're the books that talk about Jesus' life when he was on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. She is named in all four of those, so she was obviously pretty important. And in fact, it's thought there were hundreds, if not thousands, of followers of Jesus at that time. And we know the names of very few of them. So the fact that she is named in all four books makes her a pretty big deal. She's mentioned by name 12 times across those books, which is more than most of the 12 prominent male disciples that we all think of as being the key followers of Jesus. Now, Mary was a very common name back then, and actually that is part of what has caused some of the confusion, where she has been confused with some other Marys, and some stories have been attributed to her that weren't her at all, but she had a very common name for the time, but was known by a nickname, if you like, which was Magdalene. And that was given to her according to her place of birth, which was a fishing town on the shores of Galilee called Magdala. And it's interesting because her birth name came from a word which means tower. And in fact, our daughter, Maddie, that is the origin of her name, which is strong tower. Now, when it comes to names in the Bible and biblical times, most of the time, your nickname or your other name was given by your father. It was your father's name or it was a male relative in your family. 
But what's really fascinating about Mary Magdalene is that she was named by her place of birth and nothing to do with her family. It wasn't a family line name that she was given. And there's a couple of thoughts about why this may be. One is that she could have been separated from or abandoned by her family when she was young and so didn't carry that name. But perhaps more likely in terms of the scholars and their thoughts is that actually she was so significant in her own right as an individual leader that she was given a name that set her as an individual rather than someone who had influence just because of her family line. So a bit like Peter the Rock, um, and you've got other nicknames that some of the disciples had, she had a name that wasn't anything to do with her lineage, but was actually something that stood her apart as an individual in her own right. Something we know for sure is documented in the Bible is that she had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. And in biblical times, the number seven was often represented as meaning completion or wholeness. So it's possible that she either had seven specific demons cast out of her, or that actually she was completely consumed by demonic activity. Hence the words of the number seven that is attributed to it. Now either way, whether she was completely consumed or had seven demons, she would have had significant affliction, physically, mentally, emotionally. And she would have experienced many, many challenges and difficulties as a result of having those afflictions. So um, it's very likely that she would have had um, been humiliated at times in public because she would have lost control. She would have had uh, mental and emotional torture. And so we don't know the exact details, but we know it would have been significant. Something else we know is that from the Bible, Mary Magdalene traveled with Jesus from town to town and across the villages as he preached the gospel. So she went with him. This wasn't from afar, she was with him. And she and few other women get the honor of having their names mentioned as those being closest to Jesus. And again, what's interesting is whenever she's listed in a group of women, her name always comes first. And the way that things were written in that time was around a hierarchy. So it's actually thought that she was probably the leader of all the women who were following Jesus. Now, Mary Magdalene, we also know, resourced Jesus' work. And the words it says in the Bible are, out of her own means, which means she probably would have been relatively wealthy. So she was funding some of his ministry. Now, in terms of the things she is most known for, in all four of the Gospels, she's a witness at the crucifixion. So the moment that Jesus died, she's there and she's witnessing it. And according to one scholar, E.P. Sanders, he says this, made me smile. The reason why the women watched the crucifixion, even after the male disciples had fled, may have been because they were less likely to be arrested or because they were braver than the men, or because of some combination thereof. So I'll let you make your mind up as to whether they were just there because they were less likely to get in trouble or whether actually they were there because they were hugely brave and courageous. When it comes to the crucifixion, Matthew and Mark's account say that Mary was named as someone who witnessed the burial. So she witnessed Jesus' death, 
Then she witnessed the burial, and that's how she would have known where the tomb was. And then she was also the first person to encounter Jesus once he had risen. So she was there at the death, she was there at the burial, and she was also there when Jesus came back to life. And when, well, she met, she was the first person to meet him after he had come back to life. She was with a group of women, but she was definitely one of those, if not the first, to encounter him. And after that, we don't really know much about her. Believe me, there are hundreds of legends and myths about what happened to her next. But the Bible doesn't really tell us, after Jesus went back to heaven, ascended to be with the Father, we don't really know much about her. So that's what we do know, but there is a lot that has got lost in translation along the way. And one of the biggest unfounded associations with Mary Magdalene was that she was a prostitute. And actually, there is no evidence in the Bible that this was the case. Now, you may think, hang on a minute, I'm sure she is. I've been told this hundreds of times. Like, I'm sure when I think of her, she is a prostitute. Like, this is what we know of Mary Magdalene. But actually, it seems this all goes back to uh, the year 591 AD, where Pope Gregory the Great did an Easter sermon series and in it, he conflated Mary Magdalene with the unnamed woman who pours um, oil on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her tears. And from that passage, the indication of that story is that lady was a prostitute or a deeply sinful lady. She was unnamed, and Pope Gregory the Great decided that he thought this was Mary Magdalene, and so made those two women one and the same. And from that point in history, that has stuck. Now, what's fascinating is that loads and loads of scholars and teachers since then have said, actually, there's no evidence that it's the same person at all, but that representation of Mary has stuck. She's also sometimes been confused with Mary of Bethany, who is actually the sister of Lazarus and Martha. But again, that is another confusion, and it would seem that she is a very different person to that Mary. Now, the cultural associations with Mary being a deeply sinful woman and a prostitute have stuck with her through art history, in film, in TV. While we were on holiday, uh, we introduced our girls to the film Sister Act. Just such a good film. And it was fascinating because in that, there's a scene where they all sing and the priest in the church introduces the song by mentioning Mary Magdalene and then in no uncertain terms suggests that she was a very promiscuous woman. And in fact, we just don't have the evidence for that in the Bible at all. But what we do know is that she had a very close relationship with Jesus himself. She was with him regularly, and she was there at the most important moments of his life, his death, and his resurrection. So with all of that in mind, I think she definitely classifies as a Bible legend, and that is why I picked her and wanted to speak about her today. And there are two things I think we can learn from her, there's hundreds actually, but the two that I wanna focus on today that I think we can learn from her story are these. Number one, 
You are qualified. You are qualified. Your past and the limits placed on you by society because of your gender or your background do not disqualify you from being used powerfully by God. You are qualified. And the second thing I want to pull out is this. Keep showing up. It is fascinating when you track Mary Magdalene's story that she keeps showing up at the times when it matters most and in doing so discovers the incredible wonders and miracles of Jesus. So we're going to dive into one of the passages uh, that mentions Mary Magdalene. It's going to come up on your screen, but if you have a Bible, it's Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And like I say, she's mentioned across all four, but I'm just going to pick this one little passage to talk about this first point, that you are qualified. So here we go. Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So this is the bit when we hear about Mary's past that it says she had seven demons cast out of her. And uh, it actually, later on, we hear that from Mark that it was Jesus himself that healed her and delivered her. And as I alluded to earlier, whilst we don't know the actual facts of what that looked like, humiliation would have certainly been a part of her story. She would have wrestled with emotional and mental health problems. She definitely would have been seen as someone who was untrustworthy, unpredictable, a liability, and she would have been well known in her local area, but for all the wrong reasons. She would have been well known for being this possessed woman. And then Jesus turns up and everything changes. Now, it's interesting that Jesus is the one who heals her because everyone around her would have been probably avoiding her, giving her a very wide berth. If you have someone near you who is unpredictable, untrustworthy, potentially violent, all of these things that could come with demonic possession, you would keep, keep a very wide berth. You'd put them at arm's length. But Jesus doesn't do that. He seeks her out and he comes to her in order to bring her healing. And in that moment, Mary Magdalene's life is changed forever. And what I found really interesting as I dug into her life was that it didn't just bring her freedom from the affliction she was facing physically, emotionally, mentally. The healing also came with an invitation into something so much more. It came with an invitation to go and know Jesus, to really know him, to spend time with him, to be with him, to serve him, to learn from him. Her identity was rewritten at the moment that he healed her. And it's interesting for me that when we read the Bible of people that Jesus healed, Most of the time, the assumption is that he heals them and they go off and go their own way. 
So it isn't the case that there's this obligation that if Jesus heals you, you then devote your life to him and following him. It doesn't seem to be that way from the stories we read in the Bible. But interestingly, here he heals Mary and she is so captivated by the one who has brought her healing that she devotes her entire life to following him. She gives up whatever she's doing and she follows him wherever he goes and is with him and is close to him. And in doing so, she gets to be a first-hand model of what freedom looks like because she knows what it's like to be captive and she knows what it's like to be free. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see of yourself? What is the identity that you give yourself? How do you define your worth or your value or your purpose or your potential to change the world? Are you enough? Do you do enough? Have you got what it takes to achieve amazing things? What, what are the words that run around your head that shape your identity? Are they words of encouragement and empowerment? Or is it this narrative of flaws and failures and not enoughness? Well, out of the story of Mary, I think there is a powerful truth, which is God isn't just about bringing you healing from the things that weigh you down and hold you captive. He's in the business of bringing you freedom and inviting you into an adventure with a completely new identity that he dictates, that those voices don't get to play anymore those things that run around your head that disqualify you from being used by God don't get to play anymore. The enemy wants you to rehearse this narrative of disqualification, not this enough, too much this, and keep you paralyzed by your flaws and your mistakes. But look at Mary. She would have been publicly known as untrustworthy, unpredictable, a liability. Keep away from her. And yet when Jesus encountered her and healed her, everything changed. He didn't go and find polished, perfect people to follow him. He went and found people who were lost and broken. And he said, come and follow me and look at what I can do with you. Mary would have known a lot about disqualification, and not just because of her demonic possession and her past, but also because she was a woman. And Jesus was radical in the way he elevated women. And in fact, one of the things I was reading, which was fascinating, was the thoughts around why Mary has been pitched as this prostitute, this deeply sinful woman. One of the schools of thought is that the early male church leaders just felt too uncomfortable with her being a strong, independent leader in her own right. And that wasn't an image they felt comfortable with elevating. And so they diminished her by 
making the main thing about her, her past and her sins and her, her mistakes and her flaws. And that was the identity they gave her. So that then they could use her as a model of, you can take the most broken and the most sinful, and then Jesus can encounter them and, and there's like a penitence thing. But actually, she would have been disqualified partly just because of her gender. Jesus is in the business of flying in the face of where society discriminates. That's just what he does, because he doesn't discriminate according to gender or background. And, you know, we have been seeing a huge amount in the press recently from the Black Lives Matter movement, reading and just, I'm trying to educate myself better. And one of the things that I have consistently read and heard is this feeling that the black community in some places here in the UK and around the world have experienced this feeling of being less than. This title of less than, somehow by being black they are less than, and they are struggling to access the same opportunities as people with white privilege. But just as Jesus did for Mary in her being a woman, Jesus is the same across race, where he would say, do you know what? You are not less than in my eyes if you are black or from an ethnic minority. You are not less than if you have a disability. You are not less than if you're a woman. You're not less than if you're old or if you're young. You're not less than if you struggle with chronic illness or mental health problems. You're not less than if you've been divorced. He says, you are not less than, you are qualified. You are qualified to be loved and to experience freedom in knowing me. And as I said before though, it's a but, there's a big but that comes here. He says you're enough, but that doesn't come with an obligation for you to live like you're enough. That's a choice. That bit's a choice. He says, you're qualified and you're already enough, but you get to choose whether you live like that and whether you say yes to an invitation into a new identity. What would it look like if you stopped listening to your own head and started listening to what he says about you and you chose to say yes to that identity? That's what Mary did. Now, I don't know in those quiet moments whether Mary cried and wrestled and struggled with who she was, but I have a feeling that because she was so close to Jesus, the author of that identity, that she probably struggled less than we think because she had a reminder every time he looked her in the eyes that she was loved and that she was enough and she wasn't just a sum of her past. So you're qualified just as she was. And finally, we've got to keep showing up. Mary modeled this incredible power of showing up consistently, even in a place of pain or loss or risk or judgment from others. Her devotion to Jesus seemed to somehow be bigger than all of those things. She showed up at Jesus' death even when other people were afraid and ran away. She showed up at the burial even though her heart must have been absolutely torn in two. She showed up unknowingly at perhaps the greatest moment in all of history 
to witness that Jesus was alive when all thought he was dead. And what's really interesting is she wouldn't have known that's what was going to happen. She didn't show up because of the main event, because of the thing that was going to happen. She showed up because she was devoted. She showed up to go and anoint his body because she loved him. She showed up because she couldn't stay away. And in showing up, Jesus did something incredible. And she became the first person to encounter him and be given the responsibility and the privilege of telling people for the first time in history, Jesus is alive. And you know, I haven't got time to go into it today, but if you have a notepad, John 20, 1 to 18, is one of the most beautiful and tender accounts in the Bible. And it is where Jesus encounters Mary at the tomb, where she is distraught because she thinks someone has stolen his body. And he calls her by name, and he tells her that it's him. And she realizes, and in this moment of grief and anguish and pain, she realizes that he is alive. Why? Because she showed up. And we live in a world where we have so many distractions, so many things pulling us in a hundred directions, but we have to find a way in our devotion to who Jesus is, what he's done for us and what he says about us to keep showing up in our relationship with him just like she did. We've got to make our devotion to him a priority just like Mary. And when we do, who knows what we will see that go well beyond our wildest dreams. So my challenge to you this week, next week, and for the rest of your life, pretty much, is to actually think about how are you going to keep showing up? How are you going to keep showing up in prayer, in worship, in community, in serving, in vulnerability? How are you going to keep showing up in devotion to your relationship with Jesus? And if you don't know him, I want you to know this morning, undeniably, you are qualified for a relationship with him. You are more than qualified to be in a relationship with him because he's not interested in finding perfect people. He's interested in finding you because he loves you and he's for you and he's chosen you. So that is my challenge to you. I feel like I've had to whiz through an incredible woman to be able to pick out some highlights. But I'm going to pray now and I'm going to invite you to join me wherever you are, at home, at work. Uh, If you're in the car, you might want to pull over. Um, But I'm just going to invite you to join me as we pray now that we would be changed by this woman and who she represents and who she is. Father, I thank you for the devotion of Mary Magdalene. I thank you that she is so much more than the image and the woman that we are given by culture. Help us to know our identity as you look us in the eye, as you did with her, and you say our name as you did with her and say, I choose you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I have a plan for you. Help us to be aware right now of the ways we disqualify ourselves from being used by you and help us to hand them over to you and exchange them for a narrative of qualification instead. 
And help us to prioritize our devotion to you so that we would keep showing up in our relationship with you. And in doing so, I thank you in advance that you will show us wild adventures. If you are at home today and you have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you it's the best decision you could ever make today. And if that's you and you're saying, I wanna say, even if I don't feel qualified, I'm choosing to believe I am. And it's a heart connection that says to God, if you're there, I wanna know you. And if that is you, we have a team of people on Church Online who would love to pray for you. It's ashfordvineyard.online.church. Just head on over there and we would love to spend some time with you exploring what it is to say yes to being qualified to a relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.